Hello and welcome to the Mojo Podcast, part of Mike's Open Journal. Here we're going to be talking about mental health and all things related. That includes illness, wellness, stigma and support, and importantly some of your very own personal stories. I want to thank you for being part of Mike's Open Journal as guests, as visitors, as speakers, as listeners. Welcome to the world of mental health. And remember, you're not alone out there. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. She's not a great match for me, and that's okay. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. I feel like a lot of the friends that I did have have sort of stopped speaking to me because of it. And the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. Not only did this help me to write it, Mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. And she was like, can you tell me a bit about what's going on? So I told her everything and her face dropped. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it. Hello and welcome to the Mojo Podcast and to episode 147, closing in on that 150 now. Hello, I'm Mike, thank you for downloading, for listening and uh, I hope you're subscribed, it's the best way to stay up to date with all of the latest episodes, with all of the stories, conversations, discussions that we're having on the Mojo Podcast and today I'm delighted to be joined by another new guest who's going to be sharing their experience, so Joe's going to be with us today and we're going to be talking... Uh, neurodiversity, autism, uh, OCD, comedy, uh, a few different things in there. So really looking forward to sharing this episode with you. Uh, I was delighted to go along to see Joe's Edinburgh Fringe kind of performance in progress uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, So got a really good understanding for the stuff we were talking about today and um, really interested in hearing a bit more from Joe about his experience um, with mental health, also with autism. And I think for, for those of you that have listened for a long time, you remember, I think uh, at the earlier part of last year, we spoke a little bit about neurodiversity, kind of particularly, I think, linked into uh, dyslexia, dyspraxia. We touched on autism a little bit, um, but really to hear a bit more about Joe's experience uh, and get an insight into, I think, uh, a discussion that's not often had and uh, a really important insight into... Um, a few different things and to joe as well so i want to say a huge thank you to joe for coming on um and sharing his experience and i hope you guys really enjoy it as always the links are at the end of the episode and in the description so if you want to find out a little bit more about joe and his performance please do go and check those out um there's potentially also a, a short a bbc3 short uh 
coming very soon um so we probably don't have the link for that when this episode goes out however um we'll be sharing that across the platforms as well um when that's available so look out for that coming soon as well i hope you enjoy the episode and as always if you think that you'd like to come on in the future and share your own story or experience uh go over to mikesopenjournal.com you can find out all the information uh about the podcast and the different things that are going on uh, and get in contact and we can see about getting you on in the future awesome so today i uh as i said i'm delighted to be joined by joe and i'm going to drop you straight in to our conversation now so i hope you enjoy it thank you so much for listening and supporting the podcast welcome joe and uh i don't know if you're happy to tell us a little bit about how your kind of the last couple of days or how your week's been uh hello um yeah thanks for having me so it's been good um uh, i i've got a preview of my new friend show tomorrow which I'm uh, very excited about. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a good good week. Awesome. It's been very, I, I feel very British. I feel like I've spent the last couple of weeks at the start of every episode. I'm like, the weather. How, do you know about the weather? I just can't, it's the, the warm and wet weather. It just, it's craziness. Anyway, <laughs> getting distracted <laughs> with the weather. It's just, it's starting to get on my nerves. It's been, uh, it's, yeah, it's very much that weather where you don't know what to wear when you leave the house and I mean, you feel very silly going out in a raincoat but, or, or going out in shorts and then it down with rain. Yeah, I am, I'm not going to lie, more so the shorts and flip-flops and then walking through the puddles and feeling like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yes, it's it's awesome to talk to you and mentioning the show. Um, yes, it was amazing to see uh, a preview. I, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago now. I got, uh, my dates. Are yeah, about confused. two and a half weeks. Yeah, yeah. whatever the second Thursday of June was. It's that long ago. Um, so yeah, I guess to start off with, kind of how how did that come together, and just to hear a little bit more about the show before we find out a bit more about you. Yeah, so it's. Um, uh, so it's called Joe Wells doesn't want to do political comedy anymore. It's about the fact that about a year and a half ago, my mum mentioned to me casually that uh, when I was a child and a teenager, uh, it was said that I should be assessed uh, for autism. And um, uh, but but it, my mum decided not to have that assessment. Mm. Um and yeah, and so I found that out a year ago, and then I went through the assessment process. You're on a year-long waiting list for the assessment process, and um, yeah, so, so it's about it's about that really. It's it's about finding that out about yourself, and then having to wait a year to find out um, whether you have this diagnosis or, or not. So in the show, I kind of um, I have the the diagnosis in an envelope, and uh, I don't tell the audience until the end whether uh i am or not from the assessment and um i felt that would be a a kind of useful way to to kind of put the audience through that experience of um of having to wait for the diagnosis it's an interesting one isn't it because i think i guess everyone's got their own experience when it comes to different types of diagnosis but i i'm dyslexic and i remember struggling at school and feeling like there's, it's that bit of information, isn't it? I think that kind of helps you um, sort of moderate how how you're doing and the things that you might find difficult or the the strengths that you might have with certain things. And my school was always very apprehensive. They didn't want me to be tested. And it was put off until I was at college where I guess they had more sort of financial support to, um, well, support students with those kind of additional needs where that just mm. wasn't available in school. 
Um, but I wonder if kind of looking back, do you feel like it played a big role? Like, was that important for you to, to know or would it have made a difference in the kind of how you've grown? Well, so that was what I struggled with over, over a year and found, um, yeah, the, the year, so the assessment was in February and the, the year running up to that was a difficult year mm. in that, um, yeah, I struggled with whether or not I wanted this diagnosis and it's very easy to slip into thinking, uh, you know, if I'd had this as a child, everything would have been better as a child and, and everyone would have understood me and I wouldn't have felt so alone, I wouldn't have felt so left out and I wouldn't have been able to have friends. Um, and I think that can be a, um, well, you know, as I found out over the year, you know, I, th- I think that could be a, a um, unhealthy um, mindset to, to get yourself in, mm. um, you know, to, to have a lot of regret about not having a, a, a diagnosis growing up. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, that that's what I kind of... Um, I, I kind of uh, wrestled with and wrestled with in the in the show. Really, is is is, is, is that diagnosis useful? And what and what reason do what reason do I want this diagnosis? And it became something which was was very important to me to have that. I kind of got face was like, I really need to have this. Mm. Um, and and when I think the reason was I need to have this. And the reason I need to have this is so that I can say to people, oh, I'm sorry I'm like this. It's because I'm mm. autistic. And I think that's a really health, a really unhealthy reason to want a diagnosis because you're wanting to make apologies for being different or a bit weird and unusual. Um, uh, and I, so I, that was, yeah. So I think, I think that, um, I think my reasoning for wanting the diagnosis over the year particularly when it became a thing where I, I was like, I really, really need to have this. Um, though, yeah, my motivations, I think, were, were unhealthy, really. And, um, and relied on, on a, relied on a, on a belief that, 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 you know, being autistic is, is something to apologize for. And I think that's, and I'm aware that's not everyone's experience. And that's, um, that, that, that's the problem with, with sometimes with writing a very personal show is you can only come at it from one angle. Um, but I think my reasoning for wanting that diagnosis was not was not healthy, and I think that luckily I kind of managed to move myself to a place when I had the assessment where it didn't matter to me either way whether I received the diagnosis. Mm. I think it's really interesting that side of kind of I guess yeah the the rationale beh- behind needing or wanting the diagnosis because. There are times when it is really important in, t- in terms of if we think about um, if you were a young person and you wanted to access support and you feel you need that, that's a really important diagnosis to have. But if it's like you say, to it's just for you to kind of compensate or understand something, um, actually maybe there's something else there that that can offer you that support or help you kind of understand that. Um, yeah, and I, and I think that... I suppose as I've been meeting with um, a guy called John Adams, who, who runs a fantastic uh, kind of arts lab thing for um, neurodivergent artists, and um, and we've had lots of conversations about kind of diagnosis. I've talked to him a lot in the kind of run up to uh, the assessment. He was a very helpful person to talk to, and um, 
I suppose I, 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 there's an argument that actually if someone needs support or if someone behaves in a way that is different, then actually that person should be supported and that person should be accepted regardless of a of um diagnosis so mm. i suppose it's kind of um it's how how radically you want to change the 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 system the systems that you're in you know i i i accept that you know that we have a system where sometimes people need diagnoses to to um to access support but um but yeah but you know is, is that a useful way of of running things Mm-mm-mm. and do you think um because as you mentioned it's that side that you've kind of put it put your experience into a performance and actually having seen that I think as you said it's it definitely comes across as um like this is my experience and yours might be completely different and it very much came across as um yeah there might be similarities you might experience but there also might be things that are really different and I think that was kind of a nice gauge to go with but did it feel quite difficult because it was kind of more your story and your personal experience rather than making, I guess, uh, a performance that was just quite general in terms of being based on um, particular kind of diagnosis or struggles or experiences? Uh, I think it was e- it was easier to write. Um, yeah, because I didn't have to do any research or anything. <laughs> I could just talk about my own experiences. Um I, th- I think I'm. I mean, I'm very aware. I'm sure that you've had stuff with this podcast with different episodes and blogs and things. That um, that when I do the show, that's that you know that some people are gonna gonna write emails or, or say you know actually um, that a diagnosis is very important to me. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, and I can I can only talk from from my own experience of of feeling that um, that you know whether or not I had you know, certainly as an adult of, of, of well, of, of coming to a place where I, I feel that the, the label is, is less important. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously it's, it's important for other people. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think that, you know, I, I, I love comedy and, and I'm very proud to be a comedian. I think there's a lot of comedy bashing uh, yeah, at the moment. And I think comedy <laughs> is amazing. You can say whatever you want with it. You can do what you want with it. There's so much kind of diversity in in comedy in every sense of the word diversity um but i think one of the things is, is it's sometimes tricky to make the kind of more nuanced points with comedy it can be a bit more of a, of a blunt instrument that can make one point at a time i suppose i suppose and i think it's also that side of um like you say i think um kind of comedy and comedians have come in for quite a lot of stick in the last year or so and I think it's really difficult because um, when you're kind of removed from that, I think it's really easy to go, well, yeah, out of context and out of kind of the environment, that sounds wrong or that sounds not as I would like it to sound. Mm. Um, and I think there is an element of remembering this is a, a kind of a live performance. And I think of it as um, when you uh, kind of like when you hear about like, um a theater performance or a sporting event or something like that if you kind of hear that information or you see it secondhand it's never the same you never kind of care as much because there's that disconnect because you weren't kind of actually there you're not seeing it in the context it was played out in 
And I think there is that balance that, yeah, okay, maybe we should kind of think about actually are there certain phrases we don't want to use? Are there conversations or, or parts of humour that we don't engage with anymore? Well, yeah, okay, that's fine. But it's also remembering that there are other people that maybe don't think that way or there are other people that are trying to experience or explore things in a different way. And it, sometimes that's kind of left to, uh, um, I think, you kind of get this hier hierarchical, hi no, that's not a word, um, this idea that, like, my way... Hierarchical is a yes, word. Yes, yeah. <laughs> when you say so whether it, it's the right word, isn't that <laughs> <correct>? <laughs> I mean, when you say it correctly, yeah, it's a, it's a word. Um, yeah, it's like this idea that, um, like, oh, well, what I say, this is some sort of elevated view, like, my way is the right way, this is how you should talk about it, or this is how you should think or speak. And I think that's really difficult, because comedy in my mind has always been about exploring and pushing the boundaries and if you're not letting anyone do that kind of where where does comedy go from there um as a performance art yeah i think that it's, it's really tricky uh, the, the thing i find is the kind of the way that the particularly edinburgh fringe comedy and that's the kind which i uh, yeah, I do clubs as well, but, mm. but what I really enjoy is putting together an hour-long fringe show with some kind of narrative to it. Um, you know, can, is a work in progress for a long time. And the first time I did a version of this show, you know, it was really rambling and it was all over the place, and I didn't really know what I was saying with it. And I was just going up with a few ideas that I kind of wanted to talk about and play out mm. and see what kind of came out of my mouth. And I think that it's you know, it, it's it's often coming from from that place and you can get things wrong, you know, and and I'm sure that, you know, previously I've done very political shows mm. and it's very easy to, to get the, the tone of a joke, um, uh, kind of, yeah, that, sorry, I was, uh, I was trying to not say politically incorrect, um, <laughs> trying to get the, the tone of a um, political joke wrong. Mm. Um you know, because you you just because you made a made a mistake and you haven't quite got the tone right. I suppose, like you say, particularly with performances like like the one we're discussing, is that it's it's a a process that that's going through as well. You're not seeing the final kind of version yet, um, and having a level of understanding when you're going along that you are going to see. Um, someone stop every so often to maybe look at some notes or they're potentially delivering it a different way to the way that they delivered it the day before because they're testing to see what the reaction is like and seeing what what, what way works the best so part of that performance you might go oh that seemed a little bit strange well yeah because they're they've maybe flipped it compared to last time and that they're, they're seeing how what your reaction's like um and i i've um i remember going to uh I think it was Sarah Pascoe getting ready for Edinburgh Fringe right. two years ago, I think, maybe. Um, okay. And it was the... I think that was the first or the second performance I'd ever been to that was basically like a, a, a in, in development comedy act. And mm. it was just um, really interesting to see there were kind of um, like mini structured segments to it. There was quite clearly, this is a 10-minute bit, this is a 5-minute bit, this is a 10-minute bit, and that. And every time sort of one section finished, they sort of stop, scribble something down, look at the notes, okay, and the next section. And it was just really interesting to see something 
delivered like that. And I think as a performer, I guess that's really difficult the first few times you do that because it's so different to what you see when you go and watch a performance or you're watching something on TV. Like. Yeah, and it, and it really takes the kind of magic of it away, doesn't it? Where you're kind of, um, you know, the whole... There's the an momentum, element, you know, it's like yeah. kind of professional wrestling or something like that where there's an element of suspended mm. disbelief where, you know, if a comedian goes up and says, oh, funny thing happened to me on the way here, you know that that, that could have happened years ago, <laughs> but that we're kind of, we're, we're, we're pretending they're just come out of all this stuff off, off the top of mm. their head. Um, and when you're looking at notes to remind yourself of, of something which you're claiming has happened that day, um, yeah, it can be tricky. And I, I mean, this show, I'm trying to have bits in it that um, uh, that are quite kind of pathosy, um, and that's quite hard to do when you're you know trying to talk earnestly about your feelings and then checking a notebook to go, oh, hold on, what are my feelings again? I need to remember that. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I mean, uh, I would have been the thing. I would, did you, have you seen um, Hannah Gadsby's show, the Nanette show? I uh, don't think I have. No, it's, it's a it's a fascinating show, and, and but there are there's it's a comedy show. It's brilliant. There's long bits in it which are deliberately not funny and and are kind of um uh, uh very powerful mm-hmm. and very kind of um personal, and I imagine that was an incredibly difficult show to to preview and and to get right and um, when you see the finished product it's it's amazing but I would be really interested to see that in you know the kind of second time that she tried to kind of to do that stuff um you know it's it's yeah it's it's quite difficult to do yeah that's the one of the things been difficult at previews doing more personal stuff Mm. and selling it whilst you're looking at notes yeah I guess especially from that personal side because I think um again something i saw i don't know uh earlier this year i think um and it was a a mental health related performance and it was a um i say it was a it was a it was put across as a personal story but it was a fictional personal story um right and i imagine putting that together was really difficult because of some of the topics that were in there um Mm. and putting that across and feeling like you're doing it justice but there can still be that um, kind of, I guess, element of comfort in. It's not my story. It's this. We're making sure that this fictional story that we're putting together is accurate and kind of true to as many people's experiences as possible. And that comes yeah, with its yeah. own responsibility. But when mm-hmm. it's your experience, that must be quite difficult to manage that and feel um, if it doesn't go great. Oh, it's not because of kind of my story, or my experience. It's just the delivery that I need to work on. Definitely, and I, yeah, and I've been quite selective of where I preview it because in with previous shows I've done, sometimes you'll do a, a fringe preview and it will be a comedy club that is just doing fringe previews that month and mm. people are expecting, um, you know, the kind of standard joke, joke, joke comedy night thing and then you got with notes and it's a little bit of a struggle mm. um, and I really didn't want to have to do that with this show because I, I, I thought that um, I just was very worried about... <laughs> Uh, you know experiences and then having you know a group of drunk lads that uh, want to see some some gags <laughs> I mean there was a couple of people that were after the gags I think <laughs> so you, you you broke up a moment oh, there oh, I, I didn't hear what you said uh, I, I heard yep. you say oh and are we still there oh but, yeah. yeah okay sorry no that's okay we're just uh, I think I think that's okay I had a little poor connection thing come up Oh, okay. So I think we're okay again. 
But yeah, I think, uh, I guess, kind of going back to that side of um, seeing the performance and, and having that all come together, and we've spoken about kind of how that must feel, but also I guess this is, while still a process, it's, um, I guess, an element of kind of celebrating the, not the end, but kind of the moving forward part of, of your experience of um, having the diagnosis and also feeling comfortable enough to kind of share that experience but I'm sure it's been a, a period that you've kind of got up to that and it's not always been as easy to talk about or you felt as comfortable with it as you are now. Yeah I think I've, I felt comfortable talking about it I think that um, it's been the thing that was frustrating was sometimes even people that um that I feel get me I felt that they didn't quite understand they didn't get where I was coming from an interest like the there there's an autistic comic and the, and, and John who I mentioned before mm. who's a, an autistic adult who's an artist um who re- who I really really I'm, I'm grateful for the time that they gave me kind of talking about it in the round assessment because they totally got where I was coming from with stuff um and I think that um Yes, it's a slightly kind of a pretentious way of, of talking about it. Um, but it was very therapeutic writing the show. And I think it's been so useful having that show over the past because I've been preview. I didn't go to Edinburgh last year. So I've been kind of previewing bits of it for about a year and a half or kind of since this stuff kind of started. Mm. Um, and uh, I've done so two shows I've done previously have had really bleak endings Um and I thought, I don't want to do another show that ends just with like a really bleak, we're all going to die kind of doom and gloom <laughs> ending. So I kind of had this task where I'm writing a show for the Edinburgh Fringe about my experience over the past year. And it has a happy, inspiring, positive ending. And I think I had that. That was like the thing I was working towards. Mm. And that was such a useful thing to have to go. What's, you know, I kind of knew that there's going to be um you know a slightly kind of wanky bit at the end of the show where I talk about you know have a kind of inspiring message (laughs) and over the past year I've gone what's that what's that message going to be what's it coming to at the end what what do I kind of conclude at the end of the show and that's been such a kind of useful uh kind of therapeutic tool really to to know obviously it's not an option for everybody (laughs) um but uh you know, to know I've got I've got to write the show and I've got this thing at the end that, where it comes together and it's all happy and I kind of make peace with this with this news. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's been very useful to to have through have that to kind of think about through some very stressful uh, and difficult times. This was also I I don't know come across as like that side of sometimes we can find it really difficult to be positive about ourselves, but because it's maybe oh, it's not for me, it's for the show, it's for the performance, it needs to be positive for that, it helps put you in that positive mindset that maybe, I don't know, maybe you're slightly different to my slightly negative mind, that I would more easily go, oh, that wasn't as great as I wanted it to be or, or whatever, when actually you go, no, that was really good, and actually that's part of this message that I'm leading towards and helps you to kind of think in a more positive way. Yeah, definitely, I, th- I think that... Um... Yeah, it's a kind of uh, yeah. It, it, it forces you to to frame things in those mm. ways. Um, and uh, yeah, I, 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 the subject matter. I thought I can't just have a, a kind of um, 
you know, with political shows, I can do a kind of like comedically dark thing about about kind of the you know, nuclear war or whatever at the end. Um, <laughs> but the this I've got to have something kind of positive that to to come out of it. And and um, I hadn't thought of it like like that. That it's that it kind of makes it easier to feel positively about yourself. But um, and that, yeah, I think it might be right. I think it's um, you're kind of one dis- you're one step removed from mm. yourself on stage, but it's also in another way of kind of a truer version of yourself. Um, yeah, I I'm, I feel like I might ponder that later. Actually, that's a yeah, it's that distancing from it. Um, one thing that I think would be really interesting to kind of get your insight on is that um, link, I guess, between obviously we've spoken a little bit about. Um, the the autism and actually how that might link in with um your experience uh but whether that has kind of helped or hindered your mental health over um a period of time yeah so i th- so uh the so growing up i had ocd i've written a book about ocd um called touch and go joe um so for a good kind of three or four years of my life I just had OCD that just ground everything to a halt um where I would have to I'd have to tap um objects and surfaces um in number sequences so it'd be five seven five ten five seven five times I'd have to tap an object before I left the room and it'd be each surface on that object so Mm -hmm. if it was like a table it'd be like every part of the table I'd have to tap it in that sequence um I yeah you know, I don't know whether that's part like that's uh, that's the thing I'm quite I'm quite new to this. Mm. Um, from what I've read, it seems like the OCD which I had was um, you know, was kind of different to what would be seen as kind of typically autistic kind of routines and things. Yeah. Um, so that seems like it's maybe something which is slightly different. Um, I think. Uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of the, uh, a lot of the kind of um, mental ill health, I suppose, and the the unhappiness over the, um, in the kind of run up to having that diagnosis, really came from thinking about, um, you know, how I. So I like I, I I and I learned to do it more, but as a child, I hated making eye contact with people. And I used to get in trouble at school because teachers used to say, you've got to make eye contact with me. Um, and I'd have, like, I remember having a friend that I really got on with, but they'd make like, they would just look dead in your eyes when they were talking to you. <laughs> and I think that the, you know, so the fact that I don't like making eye contact with people isn't a source of unhappiness, but the fact that I kind of was thinking about the fact that I'd grown up and, and felt ashamed for not being able to do that and felt inadequate, mm. that was the kind of um, the, the source of the, the unhappiness. John, who I've been, um, has been helping me a lot with kind of conversations about things that is, um, you know, would, would I can hear his voice um, in my head when I'm saying this, <laughs> that you know, he would say that you don't, uh, you don't suffer from autism, you suffer from people's attitudes to autism mm. and um, or people's attitudes towards autistic people. And um and I think that I think that's true. I, th- I think that uh, you know the thing which I struggled with and that made me really unhappy over the past year was going. Oh, I could have, yeah, I could have had a, a different experience if I hadn't spent so much time forcing myself to look people in the eye, 
if I hadn't spent so much time kind of really worrying about uh, making small talk and trying to get that right and trying to really master doing that. Um, you know, I could have I could, all those times where I forced myself to go to like kind of loud pubs and things like that. I could have just not gone to them. And mm. um, so I think that that was the kind of, you know, it was uh, just feeling a lot of regret about um you know, trying to 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 fit in and be, um, uh, you know, uh, I suppose, and, and pass as neurotypical. And the thing which is incredibly stressful is is that you you have to wait a year for that diagnosis. So <laughs> that whole year, there's that that other voice in your head that goes, uh, "Well, this could all be just you know the fact that you found it hard to make friends. It might just be because no one wants to be your friend. You know, <laughs> it might. Uh, so you've got that." yeah so you've kind of got this potential narrative for, for for why you've experienced things in a certain way but it's not confirmed you have to wait a year before that's confirmed um and that's one of the things I, I i say at the end of the show you know is that that i i my concern is that it comes across like i'm anti-labels and anti-diagnosis but what, what what it is is that i'm i think people should hear stories of you know it's about being able to tell a story and being able to hear the experiences of people like you uh and i think that or people like me mm. uh, and i think that was what i didn't have growing up you know i, I hated making eye contact with people i never heard about people that didn't like making eye contact with people so i just felt really inadequate and, and rubbish so it wasn't that i needed a diagnosis that i wanted to hear about people that were like me mm. i think it's side isn't it of sometimes um and i've spoken to um, a couple of people before and we've kind of gone through and they're, they're um, like got a particular project or whatever so they come on and they talk about how passionate they are about mental health and uh, I'm doing this project and um, they're like oh no I've never I've never experienced anything myself but uh, I'm passionate about it and then you're sort of talking and then after a little while like, I can see bits where it's almost like there is that um, side of us recognising actually like the 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 mental health kind of mm, the mental health negative side there's the positive side of kind of the well-being and the wellness and stuff that goes with that but the the I guess the negative side that we look at of illness people only see that if you're diagnosed and actually it's mm. recognizing you can no you can be affected by symptoms without having kind of that extent of diagnosis in the same way that I um, imagine you can be sort of on that autistic spectrum or, or like me on the autistic spectrum but you might not be kind of I don't know high enough or far enough along to be diagnosed but you're still affected by some of the things that are there and I think it's that's where the labels become a bit of a hindrance in that it's like well if you don't have the label you're not affected by this well no that's it doesn't really work it's not a light switch it is this or my way of thinking is it is kind of that spectrum of things of symptoms or whatever that, that are going on and actually like you said are we forcing people to say oh, okay you should be acting this way you should be doing things in this way and if you're not oh well that's because there's uh, something wrong with you or you're affected by this but if you're not affected by that you should be doing it this way rather than recognizing actually yeah okay there might be a a core way that most people work but actually there's a huge divergent for lack of a, a pun um way that people think act um and work best and actually the more you force them in and i think we're probably seeing that more in education as we force towards testing but um 
it's recognizing actually the, the 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 more diverse we are, actually the more strengths that are there, and the more we kind of uh, prevent people from engaging with those, actually stops us learning. Oh, what are the strengths of of that person? What can they bring to our friendship group or our workplace or whatever? Um, and it is a shame that I think while we can say we're kind of tackling stigma and doing all these things, I, I still think there's probably very much that perception that, no, you should be doing it this way. Why aren't you doing it this way? Yeah, definitely. I think, we, yeah, we think that what 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 is, is kind of, um, uh, is typical is, is right. Um, I've been re- reading um, uh, Steve Silverman's book called Neurotribes. Have you read that? I haven't, no. It's, it's amazing. It's really, oh. really good. And, um yeah, it, it's really kind of has changed the way that I've thought about a lot of things. But um, but yeah, I think it's, so. There's two things which, which I, I thought when you were talking. Well, one was um, that I think you're right, and I think that actually one of the things which before the assessment made me go, I'm I have less um, I'm less worried. I'm, I need this diagnosis less before I had that was um, realizing that I can still. Um, so it's sort of, I was sometimes I kind of will worry about like a social thing and not wanting to do the wrong thing. Hmm. And um, I, uh, so my grandfather died, and I was very worried that people. This sounds like obviously the, the main thing that was upsetting was was the, the, the bereavement, but also <laughs> I was worried that people say, "Oh, I'm so sorry," and I didn't really know what to like. It was a really awkward thing when people say, oh. "I'm sorry" to you, and I don't don't quite know. I just find that like a really uncomfortable thing when people yeah. do that when you've had a bereavement. Um, but I could talk to my wife and say, like, I'm really worried that, like, when we meet people that they're going to say this to me, if they, because we, we were that the day and we were going for dinner with um, mm. uh, my with her mum, and so we could kind of role play what that would, what I should say in that situation, yeah. and I can do that whether or not I have a diagnosis, and everyone should be able to have someone they can talk to about a social situation which they're worried about mm. um so i don't kind of need the the um you know i i, I shouldn't need the the diagnosis for, for that i guess it's, it's um oh the the other thing which i thought sorry um yeah, the, the other thing which um i was thinking about when it was um i think you're right about the mental health thing and with kind of struggling around this diagnosis over the past year so because i had ocd growing up I had very, very good CBT that really put a lid on it. And I would say I don't have OCD now. Um, but also, it's almost like I've gone, no mental ill health or something that I have to, I've, I've dealt, done with that. Mm. I know how my mental ill health manifests itself and I've dealt with it. And I think I was kind of maybe less um, wary of, of, um, of, you know, other kind of, um, kind of well-being issues because I, I, very much had this um this idea that that you know that i i dealt with my mental ill health when i was a teenager yeah and i think it is in it's interesting as well when you talk to people that are um kind of at a recovery stage or feel like they're past it and it's really i do i find it really interesting because i think of uh like my perception i think is often slightly different to theirs and i still I don't know I guess everyone's is different but um because I've always um I would say I'm kind of still in that recovery process from from my depression I still feel like it's something that affects me but 
I'm kind of now more informed about it. I'm able to manage it much better. And I think it's that kind of, for me, it was the recognition or saying, actually, this is something that probably will affect me for the rest of my life. It might not, but it might. Um, And kind of having that mindset has helped hugely in terms of that recovery process, that level of acceptance of going, it's not about kind of getting rid of this 100%. It's about managing it and kind of decreasing how it's impacting on my life. And um, when I've spoken to people and they're like, oh, no, I've worked through everything. It's completely gone. And that's what I was aiming for. I was aiming to kind of get rid of it completely. And I just I find it so interesting because that that approach so would not work for me. Um, And it's that side of actually thinking if I hadn't had different types of conversations earlier on and I was kind of forced into that. Well, no, you should be aiming to have this no longer affect you in your life at all. It should be completely removed. I would have felt so much more pressure and so much more affected by Mm. that illness because of that approach. Um, Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And it's, yeah, it's having having those conversations and that support. And like you say, actually, whether you are diagnosed or you recognise yourself as being affected by a certain illness or not, that support network around you is really important. And having people that you can bounce those thoughts or those feelings off of and it doesn't always matter I don't think if they they completely get it but as long as they're receptive to hearing what you're going through I think that's so important um and I don't know if you feel over a period of time has that kind of changed for you or have you heard that's a different experience that you might have um sort of seen depending on the support available in a support network sense um Sorry, sorry. I don't, I'm not that was a bit, it was a, <laughs> it was a very sort of half mumble. Um, I guess kind of going for that. Um, I feel like maybe there were two separate points. I've just merged into one that all really didn't go. Um, I guess we'll just jump to the second one, which was that um, like that importance of the support network and um, how you feel that's been kind of beneficial for you. Yeah, definitely. You know, and I think that's the thing which. Um the yeah i mean i you know i I, the the thing that kind of was was got me to kind of a good place really where i I was thinking well actually you know i have friends that i really like and even though you know i I had these experiences as a child of really not fitting in actually i've managed to that's managed to be a kind of i managed to filter out having a few people that like that i'm kind of think differently and that i might behave differently and don't really care if uh you know if, if i um don't quite get social things all the time um yeah i mean it's, it's so useful having a good su- support network isn't it uh, and that's what all that matters really isn't it that, yeah like... and i like the kind of mentioning actually it might be different people for different things as well and it's working out what what works for you and kind of not judging that as well i think that's that's so important and it might be really difficult to get a diagnosis if that's what you're working towards so that support network is something you can build up today. It's something you can build up whether you feel like you're affected by um, certain symptoms or certain illnesses. Um, and I think it's it's a really important thing for us to do in terms of our just our general well-being. Really, forget the the illness side. Actually, yeah, to have that. You know, I think you. that I, I the the mistake I made was thinking that a diagnosis was therapy. 
mm. uh, was like an intervention in itself, but it's not. And and it, you know, and and for for anything, it wasn't. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that that uh, yeah. Uh, well, when I, so when I had an OCD, I'm very wary of kind of conflating the the two things. I don't I don't think that they are um, comparable. But when I had OCD, having that diagnosis was really useful because it was like um, it ma- it made me realise that there could be change to that. Mm. I suppose that's the, that's the difference between the two things, isn't it? Is that, that OCD is a mental illness that you want to change. So having that diagnosis made me go, oh, yeah, this is an illness I want to change. Mm. But being autistic isn't an illness and it isn't something which you should be trying to change. Mm. So in a way, you know, having that diagnosis didn't, there's nothing to action once I had that yeah. um, diagnosis. Yeah. So it was like, mm. well, I, you know, I kind of still had the same, the kind of place which I come to in the worldview that I'd come to two weeks before the assessment was the same as 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 afterwards you know and that was that you know that I have people around me that make me really happy and and you know and and that I that things are going all right so um, no I really like I uh, really like that that journey side of it of going actually it was something that's important it still has a role to play but it's I guess the importance or how much I'm invested in that actually it's not as important yeah it's great to know that might be helpful for something later on but right now Actually, I've I've got the support systems around me. I'm able to um, use kind of comedy or writing or whatever to support my well-being. And actually, I'm 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 okay. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think so. I think there were two. Um, I wouldn't. I suppose I want to kind of really separate the. Mm. Um, so the the kind of the way I struggled over the year before the diagnosis. I don't think that was. I wasn't struggling with being autistic. I think that it was. Um, you know, that was almost like a, a kind of that was a I was struggling with um, kind of my own experience, or I don't know, that was like an, another mental ill health struggle. Mm. I don't think that I have, I don't think I've suffered from autism. I think that I have, um, that, that being autistic has, uh, has meant that, that, um, you know, and, and, you know, having a world that's not kind of geared up for being differently or think differently has been, particularly as a child, was very, very difficult for me. But I don't think that autisticness in itself is, is a, you know, is, is a thing that people suffer from. Um, I think you, ah, oh, did I scribble it down in my odd little scribbles? That I, it's the, it's the way that we approach things as a society. It's, that's not exactly what you said, but um, it's, yeah, it's not the, like you say, it's not the diagnosis. Actually, it's the way that people react to you or to the diagnosis that is more of a, an issue. And I think that's the side where um, you say it's going to impact. It's going to impact on your well-being because people are potentially judging you on the things you do or the way you do them when actually... The rest of the time, maybe they'd ignore that of somebody else doing this. Uh, maybe they'd ignore someone else. Yeah, I think it's thing. so. People talk about masking with mm. autism a lot, where you know, I, I think that be, that I, I felt like I had to pretend not to be autistic my whole life, and mm. I think I found that really difficult. And, and the kind of taking stock of going, oh God, all these times have been really hard is, is a difficult kind of thing to to look at. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I think there's lots of um, times where I, I've 
uh, yeah, the, the eye contact thing in particular, I remember trying really hard to look people in the eyes and just finding it like really invasive and horrible and uncomfortable and tiring. Um, you know, and, and, and actually I was trying to do things like that um, and being mon- you know, monitoring what I'm saying and really over monitoring what, um, you know, to try and make sure that I don't say the wrong thing. And, and that's what's, um, that's what I've kind of suffered from rather than, than the kind of, um, mm. than thinking differently. I think, Does that make sense? I yeah, 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 I, I tell you, and I think like you said, it's that, it's the over, it's, it's not, it's not overthinking. It's the amount of extra thinking that you need to do to kind of balance that out. And you think, um, I, um, I remember having times and I still do it sometimes where I will struggle with, um, like a particular kind of reading or writing thing because of my dyslexia and it'll be like, mm. okay, how can I get around this? Okay. I don't, I can't read, I can't read that word or I can't read this bit. Okay. So generally what's going on in this section, get a feel for it. And you kind of zoom out to go back in. Um, and oh, I remember the amount of times I must've rewritten sentences because there were particular words or phrases I didn't get or couldn't understand or couldn't write. And it's like, it, makes you have to change something on a much larger scale because you can't change that smaller thing and that was really difficult as a young person whereas now I kind of see the benefit of actually it's it changes you can change how you look at things and you're able to step back a little bit more sometimes and go okay we'll we'll work around this if we can't do that that's not a problem that's just we're going to do it slightly differently and um, I think as an I don't want to say as an adult but as someone that's had that experience over a period of time you're able to kind of identify some of the strengths that are there as well and I think that's um that's really important that it's not just seen as um things that we might struggle with whether whether we struggle with them or not um and I think a lot of a lot of what we've spoken about today is actually a bit more about the perception behind what Mm. we do rather than actually what we're doing yeah I mean one of the things I talk about in the show was so the thing which um so number that I, I am very much someone that uh, will have like focused interests and will be very kind of um, focused on those interests. And as a teenager, I loved the musician Marilyn Manson and would talk and think about him all the time. And I think I, so. I've been kind of when writing, I've been thinking about why was it particularly that musician that um, that I really loved. And I think that in his, you see in a lot of art, the kind of um, you know he was kind of weird and different. And I think that people would look at what he was doing and go, oh, he's really horrible and scary. But actually, the fact he was different and weird was what was brilliant mm. about him. Mm. Um, and I think that that was what I was getting from that as a teenager, was getting that message of, you're, at the moment, everyone... Um, you know, because when you're a child, your world's very small and you have to fit in and it's very... Um, uh, if if you're different as a child, it's much more dif- difficult than if you're different as an adult. I think. Yes. Um, that's certainly been my experience, um, and I think to hearing that message of yeah, at the moment, um, everyone thinks you're weird and different and wrong, but in the future, people are going to realise how brilliant your difference is. Mm. Um, you know, that's uh, that was what I was kind of um, what drew me towards towards that stuff was. Um, yeah, the differences as strength rather than, than deficit, I suppose. And I suppose that kind of nicely rounds us towards the idea of 
actually that story and that experience has, has led to to you producing the show um, and to kind of sharing that experience. And I think that's the really valuable thing that people are doing now is, is sharing their experiences and um, particularly when it's a personal story, I think that's so important because it's that insight, but there's also that sort of actually, yeah, your experience might be different, there might be different things, but there's still potentially a message in here that will resonate with a lot of different people. And I I really enjoyed seeing the show a couple of weeks ago. It was really nice. And like I say, actually, having seen a couple of like in, in development pieces before now, I, I really enjoy seeing that because it's like, oh, I can see like where this is going and you can see the bits coming together and it's it's quite interesting to see something at that stage because you're also quite aware, or I felt quite aware, not a lot of people are going to see it as it is right now. So it's a really um, amazing opportunity to, I think, if you get an opportunity to go along and see something that's kind of in development or in progress, go and see it because you get kind of the, I don't know, like a purer version of the performance as well so it's a really amazing opportunity yeah it's really interesting to see i enjoy seeing things in work in progress and at the final stage as well because sometimes you'll see something that doesn't work at all in work mm. in progress and it's just a few kind of tweaks um but yeah i, I do i feel so I've, I've trying to be more uh grateful for what i have in comedy you know and that, that uh most of my living comes from uh doing comedy and talking about um yeah and uh, which i which i love and, and i think that um I do think comedy is brilliant and, and it, it's more so than a lot of other art forms. You know, there's people from all different backgrounds doing comedy, people with completely different experiences. And, mm. um, and I, yeah, I, I, I love seeing you go to a comedy club and you will see like a, a group of lads on a stag do. And then you'll see comics go on stage who are from backgrounds that they would probably never listen mm. to those experiences yeah listen to the experiences of people from those backgrounds but they're sat there watching the show and they have to sit there and listen to to the experience of someone who's from you know a different class or people of different genders different you know uh, or, or just completely different kind of world view um you know they all come together at the comedy club and people people watch them and and um like i remember seeing uh a kind of late middle-aged uh, female comic at uh, a brilliant club called Top Secret Comedy and there's a group of kind of like very young like lad, and they're really laughing at her and um, really laughing yeah, laughing with her mm. and uh, I just remember thinking oh this is why I love comedy you know because you've got eight blokes there that, that you know I don't want to judge people by their appearance but but you know I, I think maybe how didn't listen to a lot of um, middle aged women and uh you you know and seemed kind of proper lads 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 mm. but here they are and there's someone who um you know who they wouldn't normally be listening to the world view of and, and they're really enjoying that world view so i yeah i think comedy's great and i, I i'm very defensive of it i think <laughs> no that's a, uh, it's that side isn't it like you say it's not just it's their exposure to it but also seeing that they enjoyed it and seeing actually, yeah okay that might not always be the case you might not enjoy everything but that's why you try things to see actually is this like a, an undiscovered thing that you're going to really enjoy that you've just never known about yeah I think it, it's the thing that really can change the way people think I, I've, I've opened with for Frankie Boyle quite a few times and mm. I remember doing uh one show and then I, I went around the back to watch the show in the back and I've sat next to these two blokes that you know look like proper um 
you know, huge kind of skinhead blokes with one of had like a Union Jack tattoo. Mm-hmm. And um, Frankie's doing all this stuff about refugee rights and they're laughing along to it, <laughs> you know, and it's, um, you know, it, it allows kind of people who maybe wouldn't hear um, a certain worldview to, to mm. hear a different one. Mm. Um, I guess with the idea of promoting shows and performances, um, and as we uh, increasingly seem to sneak up towards the hour, um, uh, an opportunity just to kind of mention some of the stuff that you've got going on, and if people want to find out a bit more about you uh, and some of the comedy and different bits and pieces, where can they go and what's happening um, in the next kind of few months or so? Uh, yeah, so my, I have a gigs list on www.joewells.org.uk. Uh, I'm taking a show about neurodiversity up to the Edinburgh Fringe. I'm at Sneaky Pete's every day at 12.05. Uh, the show's called Joe Wells, Does, Joe Wells Doesn't Want to Do Political Comedy Anymore. Um, yeah, that, that's where you find me. I've got loads of old stuff on Bandcamp as well if people want to listen to some political comedy, which is joewells.bandcamp.com. Awesome stuff. Thank you so much for I Also, on the topic, I have a, a short film about mental health which Ooh. um should be a part of the bbc3 quickie series it's not out yet i don't know when it's going to be out but hopefully soon that should be out we'll have to keep an eye out for that and make sure yes um, yeah we get that shared as well but thank you so much for coming on and for thank sharing you so much your story for it's thank no you. it's it's amazing and um it's really nice to kind of sit down after seeing the performance as well and get to hear a little bit more about you so thank you so much for kind of sharing your experience and i'll uh, hopefully talk to you soon Thank you. Cheers. Bye. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. She's not a great match for me, and that's okay. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so mm. they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. I feel like a lot of the friends that I did have have sort of stopped speaking to me because of it. And the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. Not only did this help me to write it, mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. And then she was like, okay, tell me a bit about what's going on. So I told her everything and her face dropped. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it.